Good evening. We are glad you're here tonight. We hope and pray that you've had a great day. If you are a father, we hope that you've had a great Father's Day and that you have been honored for what you are and what you mean in the home. I do want to say, based upon what I've seen thus far, Paul gets the award tonight for the best Father's Day gift. Paul is wearing, tell you what, a nice pair of boots. And I told him, I said, you know, if it were me, I'd probably sit up here in the front and make sure I cross my legs so everybody could see. But they are a nice pair of boots, and uh, his children bought those for him, and so they think a lot of him. And I might want to be adopted, if that's possible. We appreciate so much you being here tonight. We're looking tonight at Titus chapter 1. Remember our young folks as they're away at camp this week. I know Jared left this afternoon, and so we'll fill their void. We do fill their void tonight, and I know that we have a lot of people that are out tonight. Had a great morning, and we appreciate so much you being back tonight. We're talking tonight about the role, the responsibilities of God's special servants. And as you well know, Brother Dio mentioned a week ago that we are in the process of trying to select some men who will step up and fill the roles that God has ordained. We need men who will serve as elders as well as deacons. Now, interestingly, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul sets forth the qualifications for elders and deacons, you remember with regard to those who serve as deacons or special servants, he said, let a man first be proved or tested, and then let him serve as a deacon. And I would suggest, submit to you, that that would also apply to those who would serve as elders. They need to be men who are proven that have been tested, that have shown themselves to be faithful and reliable in their service to God. And so as we think about our subject matter tonight, this is what I believe to be a very important point in the life of any congregation. Whenever you select men to serve as special servants, you are selecting men that meet the criterion laid down by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, down through verse 13, and then in Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, where the Apostle Paul, in writing to Titus, said that he had left him on the island of Crete for the very special purpose of setting in order things that were lacking or wanting, and then ordaining or appointing elders, some translations say, in every city or every church. In other words, wherever a congregation existed, in a city, then they needed to identify men who could function as overseers or bishops in that congregation. I encouraged you last week to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I would encourage you this week to look at 1 Timothy 3 as well as Titus chapter 1. These are complementary passages. There is some overlapping, but there are also some complements that help us to see the work from a broad vantage point. I also mentioned last week in our study that if you are considering serving in this capacity, spend the next few, the next few days praying about this, praying about the opportunity, the privilege, 
the role itself because it is a needed role in the work of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, as you well know, Paul said that if he tarried long, he wrote these things so that they, that is the people of God in Ephesus, might know how to conduct themselves or behave themselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. I have mentioned on numerous occasions the Lord Jesus, He built the church, He bought the church, it belongs to Him. And as a result of that, God has the right to regulate the conduct, the behavior of the church. And so God has articulated in a very concise way the church universally and then the church locally. The church that meets at Olive Branch is a local congregation. We have men who serve as elders and we also have deacons. And that's God's arrangement. So tonight I want to call your attention to Titus chapter 1. I want to begin by talking about some of the requirements laid down by the Holy Spirit and understand that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I would encourage you, I picked one up just a moment ago, but there are some notes for the lesson this week if you have not gotten a copy of the notes. I have listed here the qualifications and the definitions of the qualifications set forth by the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you over the course of the next few days to take your Bible out, to examine the Scriptures, to examine these terms very carefully. And if you want to serve, make sure that you fit the characteristics that are set forth. If you are thinking about identifying someone to serve in this capacity, make sure that from what you can tell from your vantage point, they meet the criterion set forth in Scripture. So I'd encourage you to get a copy of that. If we run out, we'll try to make more available so that you'll have those. But now, look if you would at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Again, Paul said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order things that are lacking or wanting, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. The word elder, we said, is a term that designates an older man, a spiritually mature man. Someone who would not be a novice in the faith. And Paul says that those who serve as elders are not to be a novice lest they be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So here's someone who is to be seasoned in the faith. They have a good understanding of God's Word. And we're going to talk about that maybe in just a moment when we get down to verse 9. But listen to what Paul said. If a man is blameless, in other words, there is nothing impeachable about his character, no charges that can be laid against him that would be proven to be true, that is, negative things. The husband of one wife, as you well know, polygamy was a problem in the ancient world, and the idea here is he is to be a, the husband of one wife, you just have one. And the scriptures talk about the responsibility of marriage, one man, one woman for life, Obviously, Matthew chapter 19 sets forth some statements made regarding the marital relationship, the possibility of divorce. And so those who are divorced, they must certainly meet what's set forth in verse 9 concerning their eligibility, and then they must marry someone who is eligible. But then he says, having faithful children, and the verb here is present tense. Now, you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about one who rules well his own household. 
having his children in, submis in submission with all reverence. And then he raises the question, how can a man, if a man doesn't know how to take care of his own house, how can he take care of the house of God? And the idea is, I think the point, the home is the proving ground, isn't it? If we're not able to rear our families in the Lord, and the male is to be the spiritual leader, isn't he? You remember Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Paul said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so the role of a father is to be a spiritual leader. And when we bring our children into the world, the goal is to rear them on the Lord, around His teaching, to teach them diligently, as Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so, when we bring our children into the world, we're trying to set the right example before them so that they will become children of God. And then the goal is that they will remain faithful to Almighty God. Now, my, a man might have four children. Three of those children are faithful. One child is not faithful. But he'd still have faithful children, wouldn't he? And so as we think about the qualifications, and you know when we talk about the bar that's set here, somebody says, well, you know, the bar that's set for those who function as elders is very steep or high. Well, I agree. But there's a reason for that. And the reason is because God wants men of a certain character, a certain temperament, men who are devoted to God, who are good husbands, and their wives also have qualifications that they must meet. But again, here's somebody who's living a Christ-centered life. His family is living a Christ-centered life. And so when those children are in the home, they're brought to services, they're brought to Bible class, they take a part in the work of the church. It is a family unit working together, isn't it? And that's the goal. And so Paul here talks about having faithful children not accused of dissipation. In other words, they're not to be like the prodigal, living a profligate life, a life of debauchery. They're not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And again, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about having his household in submission. Then he said, a bishop must be blameless. Listen to what he says, as a steward of God, those who serve as elders in the Lord's church have a stewardship, don't they? What Paul is saying here is the souls in a given location, they're under the oversight of the elders, but they have been entrusted into their care. Let me call attention to Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to read this verse with me. I think it's an important verse, and I think it's one that we need to keep in mind as we talk about the requirements for those who serve as elders. In chapter 13, verse 17, listen to what the writer said in the long ago. Obey those who rule over you or lead you. And be submissive. And then listen to this. For they watch for your souls. A shepherd, a bishop, is an overseer. 
A shepherd has the responsibility of leading and guiding and feeding. In this context, the writer here is saying that those who have been entrusted with this stewardship are watching out for the souls under their guardianship. And the word bishop carries with it the idea of one who is a superintendent, a curator, a guardian, if you please. And so the souls of the congregation at Olive Branch have been entrusted into the hands of our elders. As members, the elders will ultimately give an account before God for our lives, for our spiritual standing. And so he said, they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. This says something about the gravity of the office, doesn't it? You know, to serve as an elder, it's not for the weak, of, not for the, weak, not for the faint of heart. It is a tremendously, it is a tremendously important work. And it is a work. It's not a position. It's not something that a person lobbies for, politically speaking, but rather it's a work. And sometimes individuals fail to view the eldership as a work, just like the deaconship. It's a work. Preaching, it's a work, isn't it? And so the writer said, as they that watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account, let them do so with joy. And not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I'm going to stand before God just as you will one day. And I'll give an account for the deeds done in my body. And I will answer to God for how I have preached or have not preached. James chapter 3. Those of us who preach and teach, we will be judged according to what we've taught, and potentially what we've not taught. But I will not give an account to God for your soul. Now granted in Acts chapter 20, when the apostle Paul called the elders of the church of Miletus, for, or rather the elders of the church from Ephesus to Miletus to meet with him, he said to them that I am free from the blood of all men. Paul could say, look, I spent about three years preaching and teaching, warning every one of you night and day with tears. So when it comes to my spiritual responsibility, I have sought to the best of my ability to discharge faithfully my role as an evangelist. So I'll give an account for what I preached and what I have not preached. But I will not give an account for your soul. But these men will. And they'll stand before God and give an account of every soul under their stewardship. Now let me tell you what. That's a frightening thought to me. And you talk about responsibility. You remember John chapter 10? In John chapter 10, Jesus talked about the shepherd and the sheep, and He was the good shepherd, the good shepherd who gave His life for the sheep. But in that context, He said, the shepherd knows the sheep. One of the qualifications of an elder is he is to be hospitable. In other words, he is to be a people person. Here's somebody who can interact with other people, who is approachable, who has the ability to relate. Here's somebody that is not afraid of people. 
but has a willingness to get involved in their lives and to be at work in their lives. It's a grave responsibility. And so what we want to do is live in such a way so that we make their task, their role, much easier. We're going to give an account for how we've lived. But because of their position, they will give an account of their stewardship. You remember in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus said, Well done, good and faithful servant. In that context, he talks about stewards, doesn't he? We're all stewards. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, That which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. So elders, as well as deacons, are stewards of the role they possess. An elder is not to be self-willed another way. In other words, it's not his way or the highway. Every elder has the right to voice his opinion. But when the eldership, plural, when the eldership has spoken, then there's submission. Sometimes individuals get themselves in trouble as elders because they're self-willed. And they want to run things. Diotrephes is a good example of a church boss, a dictator. No place for that in the body of Christ. Can't be self-willed. If you're self-willed, you don't need to be an elder in the Lord's church. Remember years ago hearing about a preacher. He was also an elder, and he was pushing for a building program, and the other elders didn't want to do it. And so he said, I'm going to make my case one more time. Everyone has the right to have his say, but not everyone can have his way. I think that's right. When the eldership has spoken, then it is, it is incumbent on the elders individually to submit to the eldership. And then he said, not quick-tempered, not soon angry. You don't need a hothead in the eldership. There are times when inflammatory statements can be made. You don't want somebody that's quick-triggered, somebody that is quick to fly off the handle. Now, Peter often spoke before he thought, but Peter also later served as an elder, didn't he? 1 Peter chapter 5, which would say to me that he was able at some point in time in his life to get that under control. Again, you know, there there, there are no perfect people. Only one perfect person, that was Jesus. But the qualifications or the characteristics that are set forth here, this is not, this is not an option. It's not, well, I hope I live up to this, or I hope I aspire to one day be like that. No, either we meet these qualifications or we do not. The same qualifications that qualify a man also disqualify a man. Listen, in the church, we have said, and I really believe that, I believe that we preach the truth on this. Once an elder, not always an elder. Once a deacon, not always a deacon. The qualifications that put you in can take you out. There comes a point in time when men must step aside if they no longer fit the profile set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. 
If they don't meet the qualifications, they can't serve. Sometimes, sadly, individuals have a good heart, they want to continue to serve, but they're just not able to do the job anymore. For example, what about a man who's an elder and his wife passes away? I've known good people on both sides of this. Men that I highly respect. I know one man that I'm thinking of right now, I won't call his name. In his book on elders, he believes that a man can continue to serve as an elder. The problem I have with that, however, in Romans chapter 7, the Bible says that if the husband be dead, the wife is loose from the law of her husband. Let's just say, for example, a man meets all the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Meets every single qualification, but he's single. His wife passed away. Would you appoint him to the eldership? No. Why? Because he's not married. The qualifications, they either qualify or disqualify. There's no bending and fudging. I think sometimes we preach the truth. The problem is we don't always practice the truth. And let me tell you what, people can see through that. I think that in the church collectively, in the church collectively sometimes, we focus a lot of attention on two primary characteristics to the neglect of the others. The two characteristics, is he married and does he have believing children? Those are important, don't get me wrong. But these other qualifications are just as important. And again, this is not optional. This is a divine mandate. Note if you would, not quick-tempered, not given to wine. Drunkenness was a real problem on the island of Crete. And so the idea here is, this is a guy who's not... A drinker, doesn't imbibe alcohol, not violent, not a brawler or a striker, not greedy for money, not covetous, but hospitable, again, people person, a lover of what's good. Here's somebody that loves what's right and good and holy. And then sober-minded, in other words, he has a sound mind, self-controlled, just, an individual who lives in harmony with the will of Almighty God, holy, free from wickedness and purity, self-controlled. And then look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that he, may be, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Some folks contradict divine truth. What Paul is saying here is an elder needs to be someone who is knowledgeable in the Scriptures, who knows the Word of God inside out, who has the ability with Scripture to exhort people, but also to confront them. I said a moment ago that to serve as an elder in the Lord's church, it is not for the faint of heart or the weak. If a man is not willing and I don't mean this in a negative way. Don't misunderstand me. To serve as an elder carries with it the responsibility of sometimes having to be confrontational. 
not caustic, not ugly, not arrogant. But there are times in life when an elder has to go and sit down with a brother or sister or a family and talk to them about their spiritual life. Listen to what Paul said. And Paul here in this context is talking about false teachers. The first, one of the first lines of defense in a congregation is sound elders who can keep the church pure. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. There were Judaizing teachers plaguing the early church. Now listen to what Paul said, whose mouths must be stopped. Who's going to do that? An elder has that responsibility. An elder has the responsibility to say, look, we're not going to have that. We're not going to teach that here. And then drop down, if you would, because of, the, because of time, drop down and note, if you would, what Paul says. Well, note verse 11. He said, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Verse 13. Therefore rebuke them sharply. The word sharply here means to cut severely. There are times when elders have the responsibility of sitting down and having what I would call a, a come-to-Jesus meeting in a kind and Christ-like way talking to people about their soul. And there are times when people have to be rebuked for their lifestyle. If they're out living and running with the devil, somebody has to care enough about their soul to talk to them. has to be the eldership. So, what about some of the other responsibilities very quickly? I know our time's almost gone. I mentioned a moment ago that, or I had mentioned before, that the terms that are used to designate the role of elders, there are several terms that are used, and each of those terms really points to a certain phase of their work. The word elder, again, carries with it the idea of somebody who is spiritually mature. In Acts chapter 20, look at Acts chapter 20 very quickly. In Acts chapter 20, all three words are used by the inspired writer concerning those who would function in the capacity of an elder. Pick up, if you would, in verse 17. Paul, of course, is in Miletus, and he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus. There's the word elder. Then drop down, if you would, and look at verse 28. Here the apostle Paul said to the elders, Take heed to yourselves, and to all the flock, the flock would be the church, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who makes an elder? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who appoints men to serve in this capacity. How so? Through His Word. So He said, Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd. Some translations say to feed. So there you have an overseer or a bishop and I said that a bishop, an overseer, is a curator, a guardian. He's a steward. 
He is a decision maker. And then he has the responsibility of shepherding or feeding the church of God. Well, what's he going to feed the church? Drop down, look at verse 32. Here's what Paul said in light of the impending apostasy that would ultimately come about. He said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, to the leaders of this congregation is, you need to be feeding the church a steady diet. Elders have the responsibility of what is proclaimed publicly from the pulpit. They also have the responsibility of what's being taught in the classroom. They have, they have that responsibility to know the teacher and to know the curriculum and to make sure that the Bible school program is educational. Sadly, sometimes, there's not a lot of educating that goes on. And so what we want to do is focus on divine truth. So elders have that responsibility in Acts chapter 20. The shepherds, they had the job, the task of feeding. They were also to lead the church, lead them in the paths of righteousness, to keep them steered away from error and those that would propagate error. So they have the responsibility of feeding and leading and guiding and guarding the flock. Paul talked about those elders that would ultimately apostatize. And so a shepherd's out watching the sheepfold and he's got his rod and his staff and he's trying to guard that flock by day, by night. Well, that's the picture of one who serves in this capacity. The role of an elder is a spiritual role. Let me just close by saying this. You know, in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem with the Hebrew widows, the Grecian widows rather, being neglected. And so the apostles instructed the church to identify seven godly men to fulfill this capacity. And he said, so that they might be freed up to give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Deacons have the responsibility of being involved in the physical and the spiritual. They can do both. Elders, however, have the responsibility of being involved in the spiritual. Let, let me see if I can illustrate it like this. An elder is not too good to paint a wall or to lay carpet or to take care of the building. But I think based upon the Scriptures, what the Holy Spirit is saying is He needs to be freed up so He can accentuate spiritual matters. If you had a guy that had a medical degree, let's just say he's working for a hospital in town, and he is not just a medical doctor, but he is an orthopedic surgeon. Would you want that man sweeping the floors every day, or would you want him in the operating room? That's not beneath him to sweep the floors. Not too good to do that. But the point is, why would you take a man with that kind of aptitude and that kind of, that kind of academic education and use him to sweep the floors? By the same token, Elders have a, a spiritual responsibility. 
And so deacons and other members of the body of Christ can help free them up from the physical so they can be engaged in the spiritual. Does that make sense? Hope so. All right. Pentil. Gone too long. Let's close. I want to encourage anyone who's here tonight who's not a Christian to become one. To obey the gospel. You know, Jesus said, for God so loved the world. That's still good scripture. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you would be willing to walk away from a life of sin, confess the name of Christ, and then be immersed in water. Listen, all your sins can be washed away. You can be added to the church, and you can leave here tonight in a safe condition. What's well, a great thought. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, the elders here would be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?